Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, where we take a journey within to uncover the inner resources deep within our soul to transform physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is through this higher sense of knowing we are able to design and live our lives with purpose, compassion, and for the collective consciousness. Are you ready to start your own inner revolution? Come with me. Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, everyone. I am your host, Dr. Renee, and welcome back for yet another amazing week. This week's show is going to be no exception to the fantastic guests that we have had on the past several weeks since we emerged into this worldwide pandemic. And I've really been trying to bring on guests that I know will bring you a rich plethora of information regarding mind, body, and spirit connection right now, as I know we are all going through many challenges, uncertainties, and it's bringing up the aspect of mental health more than ever in our entire lifetime. And our guest today is going to really help us bring to light such an important area as men's mental health, an area that is just so often overlooked. And as a mother of a young boy, I can tell you that it isn't that a man's mental health is more important than a woman's or vice versa. It's just equally as important. And we really need to reframe these conversations and bring this topic to a better light, to the forefront of honesty and vulnerability, and to really allow men and women alike to be able to look at mental health services as things that are a part of their everyday life and practice. And our guest today is Ellie Weinstein. And Ellie Weinstein is the creator and founder of Elevation. And it is such an amazing organization that does fantastic work. And they believe that there is no such thing as stagnation, that daily progress is essential regardless of what life has handed you. And life is like going up and downwards of an escalator. And if you aren't fighting to move up, you'll automatically move backward. And so my guest today is going to help us really, again, reframe this conversation on men's mental health, begin to look at the ways that new fathers in particular can be honest and vulnerable about their feelings, their emotions, how we can change this world right now regarding boys and their emotionality and so much more. Ellie is a social worker practicing in the field of mental health. He is a devoted husband and father of a really young, little, beautiful bundle of joy. And you will hear how much he loves this little girl in today's show. So go ahead, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So let's go ahead and welcome our guest to the show. Ellie Weinstein is with us today. Can you hear us? Hey, how you doing? I am good. How is New York City today? Uh, Sun's out and everyone's inside. Yes, right. I know you guys are, oh, in the heart of the crisis in the United States right now. So I know that we're all facing the same thing, but there are really significant numbers going on over there. So know that we are all praying for all of you and uh, knowing that we're going to get through all of this. Yeah. 
So, so thank you for joining the end of revolution. I'm really excited to be talking to you in particular about men's mental health. And those people who have been our followers now for the three seasons that we have been on have heard many people come on and talk about a variety of topics related to spiritual development, physical, mental, emotional well-being. You know, we, we cover the gamut on this show. But one of the things that we've only touched in relation to men's mental health has been this idea of the stigma of the new age of masculinity and being the mom of a young man today who is highly sensitive in the midst of this pandemic um, i've seen him be really anxious and obviously i am aware of how to work through a lot of these things but he's still struggling so i'm really thankful that you're on the show today that we can really talk and address the much important topic of men's mental health. So can you tell the listeners here in the Inner Revolution what you've been up to um, and a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a full-time therapist <clears throat> and I work with all types of people in the clinic that I work at in Queens, um, ranging from kids of eight years old to adults of 83 years old um, from as, simple as self-esteem to as uh, intense as schizophrenia and it makes my life interesting it's a challenge every day it's something new every day and as a man who is a more sensitive person um, I've always been a sensitive kind of guy in touch with my emotions sometimes too emotional but it's something that I'm trying to work with people and bring more awareness to the idea of men's issues because I do see on social media per se, that there are a lot of things for women out there, this support group, that support group, this Instagram account, that Instagram account, and there's not as much for guys who are struggling, um, not to downplay women's struggle because it is real just as much as it is a real thing for men because we are human and we all struggle. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I definitely feel that the world since probably about the early 90s has been this, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. And mm -hmm. all the movements that shifted in the educational realm and everything really benefited girls and young women. Yeah, it's beautiful. But unfortunately, wherever there's a gain, there always has to be a loss to make room. And, you know, so I have seen, I've been a public school teacher, professor, you know, an educational psychologist. I've been in the schools for 23 years, particularly urban schools. And I've seen what you're talking about, the demise of young boys' social emotional well-being, um, the impact of, you know, single parenting on young boys. Not that they aren't fantastic mothers raising these boys, but still it has an impact. And and a lot of other things just in society. I have seen a lot of men with eating disorders, a lot of different things. So, you know, I'm so glad that we're really talking about this. What do you feel, if any, that you've seen, and this could just be, you know, anecdotal evidence at this point too, do you feel are the major crises or issues really facing men and boys today? I think there isn't one thing per se. The people that I've worked with and myself included and friends that I know and guys that I know and kids that I know, it's the same, you know, anxiety, same, um, you know, there's body image issues, there's eating disorder issues, there's drug issues like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And it just looks different because of how it presents itself. I remember reading something in an article years ago when I was in grad school that mental health is more common in men than it is women. But when it's in women, it presents itself stronger and greater. Um, that it comes out 
a lot harder than it does in men. So in men, they sometimes can play it off a little differently. It kind of, oh, he's just a very aggressive kind of guy. Yeah. It really could be anxiety or, oh, you know, he's um, this and that. When in reality, they're suffering and struggling on the inside, but they played off because it's a guy and, you know, he's a manly man and suck it up and all those kind of things that are the old school ways of thinking um, that need to be changed. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And I think, you know, again, so many people can present depression in different ways, anxiety in different ways. I just did a video this week, um, how to identify anxiety in our young kids right now. And one of my biggest things was it's going to look different for everybody, but really, you know, it's when we veer away from what we normally are, even if what we normally were was dysfunctional in a way, you know, in the way that we approach things, I had anxiety and panic disorder as a young girl, my young, my earliest anxiety showed up when I was three and went on until I was in my early thirties. Hence why I became the psychologist, right? How do you fix yeah. myself? Those kind of yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure you can relate to that, but yeah. I agree with you. I think it's so powerful that we really begin to think about how to identify this. So, so what are some things for our listeners if they are mothers or teachers or people who particularly are familiar with young boys right now, but aren't sure what to really look for. What should they look for as signs of mental and emotional stress? And I think you put it really well. I think you need to know the person you're dealing with who's sitting in front of you or in your classroom or in your home, you know their baseline. Um, You know what they are usually doing day to day. And if that veers and something is off or different, it needs to be discussed and talked about and don't let it you know, push under the rug and kind of leave it for later because, you know, I, I, from my personal experience with myself and as a practicing therapist, I see with, with girls, a lot of the families jump on the opportunity to help her and get her the help she needs and right now and what could happen and all these things. And for the boys that I deal with, it sometimes takes, for many reasons, it takes the parents a little bit longer to kind of recognize it. And two, for the boy or man themselves to come to therapy willingly because of the stigma. Um, Not that there's no stigma on therapy in general, but it is about what you know with your kid and your child and your husband or your friend or your spouse. If you see them, something's off. I remember I had my first panic attack, um, I would say a little bit like eight months ago when my baby was born. I wasn't myself. I was edgy, I was restless. I was like almost pulling my hair out, but that's not my normal me. Yeah. You know, yes, I do have energy and I am a fun loving guy. I'm, you know, excited and have a lot of, you know, you know, personality, but that's not the personality that's my normal range. So my wife said to me, she was, you need to get help. Like you need help. And I was like, I know, I know like something's wrong, yeah. but someone needs to say something. You can't just expect to watch it and let it go away. It's not just going to disappear. Yeah. Uh, You know, and thank you for bringing that up because there's so much emphasis having been a woman who had postpartum twice. It's difficult, but I don't remember anything ever being covered in my treatment or questions that were being asked when I was at the pediatrician and my regular OBGYN and things like that, that were ever asked of my children's father, you know, how are you doing? How, how are you feeling these days? And, and which he, is why I'm doing what, what I'm trying to do what I'm doing, because yeah. I went through um, a very difficult time in the beginning. Not that I didn't love my child, not that I wasn't excited. Sure. I was thrilled. My wife and I went through infertility. So being able to have this child was just 
a miracle, a godsend, whatever you want to call it. It was just beautiful. It was a magical experience, but I was going through a lot of stuff internally that I just never experienced before because I never had a kid. And I started talking about it on Instagram and social media and so many guys that I'm friends with and people who I never met before reached out. Oh my goodness. I felt the same thing. I didn't know other guys did this. Oh my God. And I realized like, wow, this needs to be talked about because there is a huge focus on the the mother and rightfully so they go through war to give birth to a beautiful being. They grew a human baby in their belly. That's ridiculous, right? So it's ridiculous if you think about it, right? They, they grew a human um, in, the, in, the, in, their, in their bodies, but at the same time, you know, they had time to sit with it and connect with the baby and all those things because it's in them. And the husband is like, one day you're a father, one day you're not, one day you're, you are. Yeah. And it's a very different experience that isn't focused on because usually the focus is veered towards the, the mother who just went through that crazy experience, rightfully so. So I'm trying to bring more awareness to that stuff on social media and talk to people more about it because not that that woman don't matter, just uh, men matter as well. So, yeah. And I think even partners, you know, my, my family, we also went through infertility. So my heart goes out to you because I know the five years of our process and all that that meant. And when I became pregnant with my, my oldest, I mean, it was such a scary road because you were afraid of losing the baby. Uh And then, you know, that seemed like there was never ending panic all along the way. And then you start to feel comfortable, but then the baby gets bigger. So it doesn't move as much in certain ways. And so I was panicking later. I mean, it was just nonstop. So I get it. I really do. And I think, you know, one of the things that you're bringing up, which is so, so powerful is the need not only for us to talk about it, but ways of restructuring our public health systems to really incorporate more of these types of discussions and things in education. I remember the courses we had to take, you know, Mm -hmm. while we were pregnant, we had to sit down, we took CPR and we took, you know, all these kinds of things, but, you know, maybe it might be a good idea to try to think about how to restructure. Does New York do anything like that as far as, you know, prenatal um, counseling and things like that? Not that I, not required. I know yeah. my wife and I didn't do that kind of stuff, but I know when we were in the hospital, we got discharged. My wife had an emergency section, so we we're kind of in the hospital a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my wife was taking care of my wonderful baby. Um, and at, while she was taking care of the baby, the night before or two nights before we were discharged, I had to go to some class about, you know, how to change a baby's diaper, shaking baby syndrome, yeah. you know those kind of basic requirements of a parent. They didn't test you on it. You could be uh, who know what to take the baby home, but they just wanted to make sure that they covered their bases to let you guys know, here's how you burp a baby. Here's how you hold a baby, those kind of basic things. And I know in the class, it was mostly husbands because the wives were either sleeping or taking care of the baby. Right. Nothing was this. It was true. They were just, you know, they're tired. Um, It was either about, watching out for your spouse to make sure that they're mentally okay. Um, but other than that, it wasn't really focused on each gender specifically and differently because postpartum is different in each, in each gender and in, yeah. in each spouse and how they deal exactly. with it. Yeah. And the doctor, the pediatrician was very, I, um, uh, we filled out the paperwork, you know, they, I don't know if they do this in every doctor's office, but I know in the doctor's office we went to, you have to fill out a paperwork about how you are feeling as a parent mm-hmm. um, to check for postpartum. 
So my wife is doing great. She's a, amazing. She's an amazing woman, an amazing mother, an amazing wife. She's an amazing person. And so she was doing great. And I said, well, I'm filling it out. Should I write what I'm feeling? She was like, yeah. And I scored really low. And the doctor mm-hmm. said, okay, what's going on? And I said, you know, my piece, that I'm having anxiety. And since then, he always checks up on me. That's Aww. just him. That's his personality. Yeah. He's not, you know, when we go for our, when we went for six months and, you know, this month, you know, and that shot and this shot, he always goes, so how you doing? He also asks about my father-in-law who's not, you know, who's sick. So like, he, that's, that's just his good bedside manner. I don't know if that's a requirement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've had some really great um, mental and, and traditional doctors in your corner, which certainly makes a difference. And yeah, yeah, I had always wondered about that. I wrote an article a few years ago about safeguarding the emotionality of young boys. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I had always been very concerned about was the, we've certainly changed directions. A lot of us call this, you know, we're moving into the age of Aquarius for people who are very into evolutionary astrology and things like that Mm -hmm. too. But it was sort of suggested even scientifically that our children today are far more aligned with the environment and rightfully so. So it doesn't take much for them to come into alignment and understand their sensitivities and just to be okay. It's a lot of the parents or even grandparents who still are of the old mindset, the own, you know, the old beliefs, um, the old understanding of emotionality and social and emotional things. And so that, you know, that was something that was very concerning to me was I remember And I love my mother, but I don't love my mother's parenting practices. I never did Mm -hmm. as a child. And I certainly wasn't going to see those inflicted on my child. And she was always very hard on my son. But my daughter, even though my daughter was probably a more challenging child in some ways, Mm -hmm. was never a problem, you know? And so you could see, but my mom didn't have sons. So I knew that there was something to be told there. And as I did my research, I kept finding that there were fathers of these boys who found that they were more triggered emotionally by yeah. the emotions of their son. Have you seen any of that or heard any of that through your clients you work with? Yeah, I, I do have ha- I've had the, that. I love that you pointed that out. I've seen that in my own life, um, my friends um, and how they were parented and even my, in, within my family. I only have one brother. It was me and my brother, so it's a little different. Mm-hmm. But I've seen that within my family, whether it's cousins or my brother and the way he parents his children but he has um two he has three children but two uh one older boy who's nine and one younger girl who's six and a newborn uh, girl also you can't really parent a newborn um like stop doing that and they're like <laughs> right yeah they, they parent they're, us <laughs> uh, they're great they're wonderful right they teach us lessons but i've seen that definitely with um the idea of like the little princess and the and the the beauty the beauty child and the loved girl and the the boy needs to be you know toughened up and strong because that's what needs to happen for them to be successful in the future um versus the daughter who needs to be polite and sit and, and sit nicely and treat people nicely and you know be respectful but the i wasn't raised that way everyone had to be respectful no matter what gender you were right um you know who cares if you're a boy girl or whatever you identify as you need to be a respectful human being but i do have i have seen that in my practice as well where I work that that focus and that it's just so interesting I just find it so amazingly wonderful in a a good and bad way how we treat people based on their gender and their their mental health going with that hand in hand it's so interesting yeah and I think that a lot of people who I was in research with realized that they had so many old generational wounds 
as parents and grandparents that they had never tackled. They had never yeah. touched because like you said, the, the mental stigma, right? And, and everything that was with that, there was no way dad or grandpa was going to therapy. And, it, it, you know, and so here we are with parents who are, you know, wounded in many ways, as we all are, we are all, mm -hmm. all wounded in some way, shape or form, but many of us do the inner work. So can you talk a little bit to the listeners about what type of work do you do with clients, particularly, you know, men who might be in some of these situations that we're talking about that are really proving helpful for them? So what I really love to do, I'm a big fan of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. which basically focuses on your thought process and how it impacts your feelings and behaviors to the simplest explanation possible. And um, what I love doing with, especially in the beginning of therapy, whether it's a, a guy or a girl, but specifically with guys, because I have found that girls are more in touch with their emotions and are able to label them and, and focus on them and are self-aware with what the emotions and how they feel and can put them into um, actual words and yeah. just descriptions while sometimes guys are not taught that or if they were too emotional like I know for me growing up when I was too emotional it was kind of shunned upon like stop being so emotional yeah. like um and I don't mean crying I mean just being happy-go-lucky I'm not even talking about right. crying but being too sensitive back in the day was considered like I, I hate saying this was like oh you must be gay or you must be yeah. homosexual right when in reality yeah. those two are not equated right you could have feelings and be whoever you want to be and have emotions and be whoever you want to be. It doesn't have to equal something. Right. So what I do like to do with my clients is I do like to label their emotions. So I sit back and I explain what a label is. If you buy any product, you know, Nike, the label is just do it. What does that mean? When you look at that Nike symbol, I'm not sponsored by Nike. I promise. I wish, <laughs> I wish, but I'm not. If you're, if you're listening to me, Nike, get in touch. I'm willing. Get in touch with I'm it. Willing. Like or like if, uh, you know, you look at Heinz Ketchup or any other companies, then uh, when you look at the label on the back, the calorie counts, all these things, it tells you the story and the picture of what ingredients are in, even the chai tea that you're drinking, right? Yeah. The label tells you what it is. You know, chai tea equals chai tea. So same thing with our emotions. If we don't know what label we have on those emotions or how we have been labeled based on society's expectations, our expectations and others people's labels they put on us. For example, if we are myself, I'm a white Jewish male. That label, what does that label me as? What does that mean? How does other view me? How do I view myself because of that? And all our race, ethnicity, and cultures help label us how we dress, how we act, labels who we are. So we have to then, what we do is sit and make a list of how others have defined and labeled them and how they have defined and labeled themselves and which of them they have internalized and thought. Right? If I was a kid and I was told I was stupid all my life, right? You're stupid. You should do better. You only score a 90. Where's the other 10 points? Why didn't you score a hundred? That is going to be reinforced that I am now not smart. So even if I do succeed in life, there is going to be this little thing in the back of my head, little demon or, or uh, some critical voice saying, do better. You have to be smarter. Yeah. When in reality, you're being extremely successful, but it has been a great and you have labeled yourself because of others. And then you have taken that on as being not as smart as other people or inadequate. So we go through that kind of stuff in the beginning. Yeah, and, and I think the labeling is so important. I love that you bring this up because for me, you know, it's, it's the reverse where my daughter is the very introverted, um, probably lacking the greatest ability to communicate verbally 
um, mm -hmm. how she feels, but, but she's very artistic and creative mm -hmm. and she mm -hmm. can express herself in that way. And I've had to learn to have dialogue with her in a very, very different way where my son, who is the much more overtly sensitive, you know, I wouldn't call him extrovert. He's definitely more of an ambivert, but you know, he feels more though. So he's having more anxiety things. He gets, he gets upset tummies, the headaches, you know, mm. sometimes it looks like he has something and he's sick. You know, he feels like he needs to throw up. There's all these kinds of things. And I just remember, I remember my course through that. And my heart was just like, no, you know, you're, you're praying and you're hoping because you've done all this work that your children won't be exposed to it. But we know that some of this is genetic as well and makes it yeah. a little bit more difficult. But I also think there's just predispositions based on our temperament and our sensitivities. Yep. And, and again, you know, I thank God that I know what I know and my children are able to live in a judge free environment. All right. You have anxiety. There's no, there's no judgment, you know, it's, it's just is. And so mm -hmm. how do we make ourselves better? Let's go ahead and do these things. You know, how do we work through this? And I didn't yeah. have that as a kid. I had, like you said, you're too emotional. God, you're so difficult wow, you know, you make everything so much harder on yourself. It's your perfectionism. That's why you're having a hard time. It wasn't like, you know, here are some things that, that you're experiencing. This is why you're experiencing them. And here are some ways that you can, can work through some of these, but it's you, right? It's essentially you. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's why I think a lot of people think there's this dark dragon outside of yourself that's causing all of these things. And if we just figure out where the dragon is, we can clear this all up. But my mm -hmm. biggest lesson in anxiety was recognizing it's just me and it's part of me in a way that I needed to learn how to express myself to resolve that. So, so thank you for sharing. I think CBT is, is a very effective, it was one of the first things I did as a teenager in my early twenties. Now, what about individuals who might be more looking for more of a spiritual direction to their to their work and their healing is there anything else that you do in relation to that yeah so i actually took an amazing course and someone recently asked me i went to fordham university shout out to fordham i oh, loved yeah. them they were great in the bronx um, right in lincoln, i went to lincoln center grad school oh, actually got it I, it was amazing and i had this professor who was a priest and the creator of a um, rehab alcohol and drug rehab center oh. um I'm blanking on his name and I'm so embarrassed, but I'm blanking <laughs> on his name. And he had, I took a spirituality and social work course yeah. connecting in the overlap of therapy and spirituality. Now I'm a very spiritual person and I'm a very religious person. I'm yeah. not an ultra Orthodox Jew. I'm an or, I'm modern Orthodox. So I do like watch TV and listen to music and I am involved in this world and do things in this society. But I am also, I have a routine of my day that is around spirituality. So I pray every morning and try to pray in the afternoon at night, three times a day as if I can. Yeah. I'm, um, and that to me has ingrained me with the thought process of meditation. It is yeah. a time to be mindful, to sit, whether I'm using words or reading from a book or not, it's my moment to be with my, me and my thoughts and my, my creator or whatever you call your spiritual being. Um, and I try to, with, with clients who are looking for that, um, I usually stay away from spirituality and I usually stay, for, stay away from religion per se, because sure. um, my job is not to be the religious guidance. But if it comes into the spirituality realm, we do talk a lot about that idea of um, higher beings and connecting to 
bigger and greater things, you know, journaling about spirituality and gratitude journals and those things that kind of connect you to a bigger and greater whole that I find super helpful, one for myself and two for my clients when they are looking for that it's a beautiful journey when we go down, down that route. It is, it is. I think just recognizing the alignment of all these aspects and certainly makes a difference. And this was really why I really love the work that you're doing because when you, when you look at your page, particularly on Instagram, you know, you see the connection you have to your wife and to your baby. And how old is your baby now? She's nine and a half months. Oh, oh, that is like the, that was like the best. I loved when they were sitting up and starting to, you know, want to walk and they're talking, you know, little blurbs of language starting to come out was my favorite time. I was like, okay, Every, this is an actual human now, right? It's yeah. crazy. Last night I was sitting with my wife. We were playing Sesame Street. We have this like nightly routine where we, we feed her real food. She sits in the, and we, we eat dinner together and she's able Aww. to eat real food together with her hands. It's so cute. And she makes a mess and it's adorable and funny. And then we sit and we let her sit for like 10, 15 minutes to watch Sesame Street while she digests. And my wife breastfeeds her and then we bathe her and then we have our night routine of singing to her and putting her in bed and she falls asleep beautifully. Thank God. But uh -huh. um, when I was sitting on the couch watching my daughter watching Sesame Street and she goes crazy for Elmo and she's yeah. smiling and, and clapping. I looked at my wife and I said, this is insane. I was what? I said, we have a baby. Like we have a, we have a person in our home. Yeah. Like this is a person because she's sitting and she, every week there's a new word or sound she makes. Yes. You know, last week it was th 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 and this week it's laka 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 and like it's so funny. <laughs> every week is something new and it, yeah. it makes our lives, I'm, you know, I was saying to my wife yesterday during this whole corona pandemic, um, without our lives with her are so much happier and greater that we can rely. It's, it's kind of interesting. We're relying on her to lift our spirits through her happiness and exactly. energy and love. It is a yeah. beautiful experience. I'm so glad you said that. I just posted a story today and see everything you just said is exactly why I devoted my life to the field of, you know, education in particular educational psychology, because I think that our children are the ones who save the world each and every time. It just, you don't see it because their energy is what's holding us up. It's lifting us up. They are still joyful in times of crisis. Yes, they suffer stress and it's important we, we do look for that, but they can still be joyful. They can forget about things in moments, right? They're not ruminating as much as we are. And, you know, when they're little like this, it's, it's probably such a glorious gift that, you know, they're, she'll have to be told innocent. the story, you know? Yeah. They're pure and innocent and they're just full of beauty and excitement and the world is just ahead of them. And you look at them and they teach you so much and it's just this powerful bond and experience and yes sometimes they are a pain in the butt and sometimes <laughs> you don't sleep because of them and sometimes you stress over them and you're worried about them but in the end the experience you have those little moments of like sitting back and going oh my goodness yeah. like that just happened or this is happening is more profound than i can ever imagine well, I don't know if you know of him, but his name is Tom Papa. He's one of my favorite comedians ever. And he does such great, you know, wholesome discussion of families, though. And it's really funny. He talked about little kids and he goes, they're the worst roommates ever. <laughs> <laughs> he's on my wish list. He's on my to-do list to watch next year. Oh, he's so good. You'll love it. You'll love it. And just such great, honest, you know, discussion about being married and raising children. And just, it's funny. Really, really funny. So... Oh my goodness. Well, 
So that's the one thing I love the most in, in being able to watch people who really are figuring it out day by day by day and creating a really, you know, healthy family unit. And we know that this means it's not exempt of problems. It's not exempt of honesty. Like you said, I'm the first one to say, you know what? I don't know if I really liked my kids for the first couple months. I didn't know what to yeah. do with them. You know, it was scary. I was a, a, you know, a psychologist and a woman and I'm supposed to know how to do this. And I didn't, I didn't know how to do any of it. So I was <laughs> just, whoa, how do you change a diaper? I never changed a diaper before I had a baby. So it was one of those things, you know? So I love these honest discussions, but for our men who are listening, what advice do you have for them if they really are sitting here listening to us going, yeah, I've, I've got something going on and I don't know what it is and I just don't know what to do. What advice do you have for them? So first off, thank you so much for listening. Two, I hear you and I see you because I'm a guy and I have my struggles with anxiety. With uh, I've gone through my bouts of ADHD. Uh, my bouts, I mean, I go through it, I have ADHD. And uh, men's issues, like body image issues, parenting issues, being a husband, being in this world is it's hard no matter who you are. And the first thing to do is get help and ask someone for help. And I'm saying this with an open heart and a full heart, whether it means just reaching out and chatting with me, just to start off the conversation. I promise I won't charge you. It'll be a free conversation yeah. just to have someone to get your, the bubble, get the, um, the boil, the water boiling, I guess, or getting things rolling, just to say, maybe I do need to talk to someone more often and more professionally. Maybe I do, maybe, you know, my wife isn't the person I need to dump this on. Maybe my parents aren't the person that I need to, you know, always rely on. I need someone who's objective. And here's the secret for therapy. And I'm sorry if I ruined the secret for therapy for everyone out there. It is someone who's objective, who is not involved in your life, who is there to give you extreme love and support and honesty who is there to sit back and hopefully connect the dots for you that you cannot see. That's really what it is. I'm not some genius who has insights to the world that you can't have. You can be just as smart as I am and even smarter yeah. because you're involved in the situation. You're blind. And my job is to help you see what's going on. I think that's gotta be the best definition of therapy I've ever heard right there. I and really believe that. I'm so, yeah. I, I, and I hope, I hope I didn't ruin your job now because now everyone's like, oh, that's all it is? <laughs> no, it's very, it's very hard and it's not easy. And to hear people's issues and struggles every day. I've heard so. I worked in a psych hospital for a little bit. Yeah. I've, seen and, I've seen and heard some things that are, are very sad and scary and, and worrisome. But that's literally what it is. It's someone who's not you, who is on the outside looking at you and seeing you for who you are and not with your biases and not with your predisposed thought processes or cognitive distortions. It's all just pure hoping to help you be the best you you can. Mm, absolutely beautiful. And I hate when we get close to the end of the show. I always want to talk to, to my guests like for hours, you know, I'm like, no, the time flies. So I always, yeah, I always ask <laughs> at the end of the question, you probably have heard my other podcast. I call it the footprint yeah. in the sand question where we think about the imprint that we want to really have the impact that we really want to have on the world. So in, I know you're still really young, so we'll say 50, 60 years when you're getting to the end of your life someday and you're looking back and you're just reflecting on the work you've done and, and all the things that you, you know, are doing right now, what do you really hope to leave to the world and to the future generations through what you do? 
Wow. <laughs> the problem is I have so many uh, so many ideas for my future. It's uh it's a really hard <laughs> question to answer, but I'll yeah. try my best. The thing that I would love to impart on this world is love, care, and support. And whether that's through my work as a therapist, whether it's my work as a, as as a as a as a, as um, a speaker, whether it's writing books to give someone just a little extra love and hope and insight into what they're going through, and of course build a wonderful, beautiful family filled with. Uh, morals and ethics and hope to change the world in whatever way they can but in the end it's just being there for people when they are at their best and at their worst and hoping to help them on their journey whatever that means that's my biggest goal in life it's a sickness I love people it is really fun for me and it's really enjoyable and I hope to help as many people as possible and it sounds like you already are my friend so thank you for all the work that you do and I'm sitting here, as you were saying it, my son drew a picture, one of his last days of schools, because we've been in quarantine already for two weeks here. And it says, a family is bright colors that never fade. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of a rainbow. And it was drawn by my son, not my daughter, <laughs> my son. Your son and, wrote that? Yes. Yeah. Oh my and, goodness. That's so profound. Isn't it amazing? So this. He? He's going to be nine in two weeks and oh yeah, his That's first beautiful. birthday in quarantine, hopefully his last in his life. Right. That's but I, you know, thought. yeah. And I say that because again, not, you know, not to dismiss the sensitivity of my daughter. She's absolutely divine and beautiful, but it's my son who those emotions come through in those ways and, and people like you and other people who are out there. And I think, you know, many of us women do this work, but we need more men to really step up and be the role models and be the places of support because it just is right. No matter if we're hetero or not, it, it, you know, the same gender just has a beautiful connection to us and an ability to have a safety net. And I, I can recognize myself. And so I hope that more people after hearing you talk today really do sign up to get involved. You don't have to be a therapist. You can be a coach. You can be, you know, just a support mechanism for these boys out there and a safe place for them to land. So my friend, can you tell everyone how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, you can check out my website, elevation.org. Uh, you can check out my Instagram, elevation underscore LMSW, my Facebook, um, and just reach out and message me whenever you like. I do have a phone, so I'm accessible at all times. I might not answer at all times, but I'm accessible. What are all those? Phones. I know, right? Um, honestly, would not know what I would do without it nowadays with the time that we're in with quarantine. Thank God we have this technology. Oh, but, um, and you can reach out through my website. If you want me to come speak in your community to a school, to anything in your area, if you like to just talk with me one-on-one, -on -one, let me know and let's try to figure something out to get you the best help and, uh, see where we can take you. Ellie, thank you so much for being here today on the inner revolution. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you, everyone. I am Dr. Renee for The End of Revolution. And thank you again for being here for another amazing show. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to The Inner Revolution with Dr. Renee. Tune in again next week for another fabulous episode. You can reach out to me on Instagram at dr.renemoudre, or you can check out my website at www.transcendentheart.com. Talk to you again soon.